You're listening to the Paleo NP podcast, episode number 20. Welcome to the Paleo NP podcast. I'm Martha, a family nurse practitioner and creator of MarthaFlorence.com. I live in Anchorage, Alaska with my boyfriend and fur children. I'm here to share my take on integrative health, nutrition, and fitness, answer your questions, and talk with health and wellness experts. You can submit your questions at MarthaFlorence.com. Enjoy this week's episode. Remember that the materials and content within this podcast are intended as general information only and are not to be considered a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Welcome to another episode of the Paleo NP podcast. This week, we are going to pick up where we left off last week with adrenal fatigue. So if you haven't listened to last week's episode, I highly suggest that you go back and listen to that one first because... That's where I talked about what adrenal fatigue really is, because it's probably not what you think, which is important to your understanding of what to actually do about it, which is what we're going to talk about this week. There are three aspects to healing adrenal fatigue and really healing most conditions, but those are diet, lifestyle, and then supplements. And I'm going to talk about diet and supplements first, and then I'm going to talk about lifestyle last because I actually think that's the biggest piece of this and the piece that everyone thinks they can ignore. So I'll save the best for last. Before we dive in, I want to talk about something new I'm into this week. This week, it's another new old thing because it's not new to me, but it's something that I've forgotten about and just rediscovered in the past week or so, and that's cordyceps mushrooms for energy. I've shared some on Instagram over the past few weeks about how I've just been really dragging and having a hard time with my energy levels, and this is definitely something that I struggle with on and off because of both chronic fatigue and adrenal fatigue, but for some reason this spring it's been especially difficult. Maybe it has something to do with the fact that I ran two 50k races two months apart, but either way it's an issue that I'm always trying to do better with. So I've actually switched back to decaf coffee again because I was also having weird anxiety attacks and heart palpitations. So I cut back on my thyroid medication and public service announcement, do not do this without talking to your healthcare provider first. Um, So I cut back on my thyroid medication and I'm going back to decaf coffee. And while that helped me feel less anxious, it hasn't done much for my energy levels yet. So in order to give me a little boost before my workouts or to help me get through the 2 p.m. energy slump that I have every day, I've started putting cordyceps mushroom powder in my afternoon decaf coffee. Now, I want to say that I fully recognize that this doesn't contribute to the solution of the problem, but it does help me keep going so that I can get through my day. The added benefit of cordyceps is actually improved exercise performance and the reduction of muscle aches. There are even several studies that suggest that cordyceps can improve endurance because it has an effect on the body's uh, supply of ATP, which is what your body uses as its main source of energy. So I use Four Sigmatic's Elixir, and I'll link to that in the show notes. I'm not affiliated with them in any way other than I just love their stuff, but they have a ton of great products. So I just add a packet of the Cordyceps Elixir into my coffee in the afternoon, and off I go. I also really love their Rishi Mix for winding down in the evening and getting to sleep. All right, so getting into this week's topic of what to actually do about adrenal fatigue. As I said earlier, there are three main components to the healing process, and those are diet, lifestyle, and supplements. 
So first I want to talk about diet. The thing you need to keep in mind with adrenal fatigue is that it's related to hormones. So even if you're eating a mostly paleo or completely paleo diet, well, that will get you a lot farther than a standard American diet would as far as healing. If you aren't keeping your hormone health specifically in mind, then you aren't going to see a whole lot of results. The other thing I want to say about dietary changes for adrenal fatigue are that you need to give your body time to recover. So changing your diet and then expecting to feel better in a couple of weeks just isn't reasonable. You didn't get this way in a couple of weeks, so why would you expect to feel better in a couple of weeks? That being said, I'd recommend at least 90 days before you decide whether or not it worked. There's nothing magical about 90 days other than it's just generally enough time for people to see results. So the first thing that you'll want to do is make sure that you're eating plenty of vegetables. Vegetables, as we've talked about here before, have tons of vitamins, minerals, and other phytonutrients that are important for proper cell function. So in order for your cells to heal and function properly, you need to give them the building blocks to do so. And the best way to do that is with tons of vegetables. At a minimum, I would shoot for five or six servings a day, but in the realm of nine is actually better. Try and focus on vegetables that are good sources of iodine, which is important for thyroid hormone production, as well as sulfur and B vitamins, which are important in the production of other hormones and for your detox pathways. Some good examples are sea vegetables like dulse, nori, and kelp, green leafy vegetables like spinach, swiss chard, and kale, and then sulfur-rich vegetables like onion, garlic, Asparagus, which is also a great source of folate and low levels of folate are actually linked to hormonal and neurotransmitter deficiencies, and broccoli and cabbage. You're going to want to be careful about your carbohydrate choices too. A lot of people that I work with have issues with carbohydrates because they're choosing sources that have gluten or tons of sugar, which only contributes to further digestive issues and blood sugar dysregulation. Instead, focus on small amounts of safe starches like sweet potatoes or squash. These feed the good bacteria in your gut and support your thyroid without contributing to digestive issues and blood sugar dysregulation. With adrenal fatigue, the amount of carbohydrates you eat can be tricky. You want to eat enough to help regulate your hormones and support your activity levels, but you don't want to rely on them as your main source of energy. Low carb is definitely not a good choice for those with adrenal fatigue, but eating too many carbs can also be troublesome. My best advice here is to eat a small portion of carbohydrate with each meal and see how you feel. If you are very active, then you may need to add more, but you might also feel like you don't need that much. So you just need to make adjustments as you feel is appropriate for you and your body. Fruit is another good source of nutrient-dense carb. Anywhere from one to four servings per day, depending on your energy levels and other needs, is fine. Berries are a good place to start because they are on the lower end when it comes to sugar, and you do still need to be careful about blood sugar regulation with adrenal fatigue, but unless you're eating six apples a day, it's not likely going to be a huge issue for you coming from fruit. You also want to make sure that you are getting plenty of nutrient-dense protein into your day. This is not the time to be eating nothing but chicken and broccoli, because remember that we're trying to give your cells all the things they need to function optimally, and variety is key here. In addition to your normal sources of protein, consider working in some oysters, wild-caught salmon, turkey, and organ meats into the mix at least once a week. 
Oysters contain tons of zinc and having the right balance of copper and zinc helps with neurotransmitter function, immune function, and the ability to handle stress. Most of us have too much copper and not enough zinc, though the only way to know this for sure is to test. Increased copper and decreased zinc contributes to stress and anxiety. There are other ways to get zinc, but one serving of oysters has over 600% of your recommended daily allowance for zinc. They are also a great source of selenium, which is important for your thyroid function, as well as B12, which can have an impact on your energy levels and is important in your detox pathways. Wild-caught salmon is a great source of omega-3s, which are important in decreasing inflammation, and less inflammation makes almost every health condition better. Turkey might seem like an odd recommendation because it's not typically something that gets called out for its nutrient value. But the reason that it's important in your adrenal fatigue recovery journey is that it contains the amino acid tryptophan, which is a precursor to the neurotransmitter serotonin, which helps you feel calm, happy, and more easily able to deal with anxiety. And of course I was going to mention organ meats because they are some of the most nutrient-dense foods you can find. And full disclosure here, I think I've mentioned this before, I don't really eat organ meats. It's something that I'm working on, but as of this moment, my organ meat consumption is exactly zero. Some other foods to consider adding to your diet are probiotic-rich foods such as sauerkraut, kimchi, or full-fat kefir, healthy sources of fats such as coconut oil and avocados, which are also rich in important B vitamins. You should also make sure that you're eating at least three meals per day, and please don't skip breakfast. This can really help regulate your blood sugar levels, which plays a role in your pattern of cortisol secretion. If your blood sugar is low, your adrenals secrete cortisol, which activates gluconeogenesis and raises your blood sugar. The other thing to keep in mind is that those with adrenal fatigue should generally avoid eating a lot of sugar because, as I said before, blood sugar dysregulation plays a role in adrenal fatigue and eating a diet that supports even blood sugar levels throughout the day will make you feel better and help you recover faster. You also need to make sure that you're getting enough electrolytes, specifically salt. The amount of salt in your body is regulated in part by the hormone aldosterone, which is created and released from the adrenals. Unlike cortisol, aldosterone doesn't have a negative feedback loop to decrease its levels when they are in excess. If there's too much aldosterone in your blood, the receptor sites are downregulated and sensitivity is reduced. When levels of cortisol are increased, levels of aldosterone are also increased because they're regulated by the same hormone called ACTH, which this makes you retain sodium and water. And this retention of water causes the pressure-sensitive receptors in your blood vessels to dilate, which is regulated by your autonomic nervous system. And in a healthy individual, this process maintains stable blood pressure. With stress, the adrenals also secrete epinephrine, also known as adrenaline, which constricts blood vessels in order to make sure that your brain has enough blood flow and oxygen. The result of all of these hormones, aldosterone, epinephrine, and then the relaxation response from the autonomic nervous system are what determines your blood pressure at any given time. Many people with adrenal fatigue report low blood pressure and salt cravings. This is due to a lack of aldosterone. And remember how cortisol production eventually drops in response to the perceived decreased need as the body downregulates the receptors, aldosterone can do the same thing, and an imbalance with potassium. There's a little bit more to it than this, but that's the gist, and we could be here pretty much all day just talking about this one piece. 
So as I said before, a paleo template is a great place to start when it comes to diet because that will get you most of the way there. But then you'll want to take these specifics about your diet into consideration to make sure that you're giving your body exactly what it needs to heal. Before I dive too much into the next piece, which is supplements, I have a couple important things that I want to note. The first is that you should not start or stop supplements without first consulting your healthcare professional. Yes, I'm a nurse practitioner, but I do not know you and I do not know your specific situation. So all of these recommendations may not actually be appropriate for everyone. And second, you absolutely cannot take supplements and do nothing else and expect to get better. That's not at all how this works. The supplements are meant to support your body while you're healing so that you have the best chance of recovery, but it's definitely not a substitute to the other pieces of this recovery process. So vitamin C is a really helpful supplement in the adrenal fatigue recovery process. The dosage is anywhere from 500 to 3000 milligrams, which actually brings up another point that I think I'll address more in depth in yet another episode about adrenal fatigue. And that point is that what dosage works for one person might not be appropriate for another. And this depends on how sick that person is, as well as their unique biochemistry. So this is where I strongly encourage you to work with someone who is knowledgeable about adrenal fatigue to help you with some of this. Because supplements, while relatively safe, can actually become dangerous when they are used incorrectly or in the wrong dosages. So working with somebody who knows about this is really important. The interesting thing about vitamin C is that a combination of different forms often work better than one form by itself. So it's best to get vitamin C in the form of ascorbic acid and sodium ascorbate. A combination of delivery systems also often works best since nutrients are only good if you can get them to the cells. So including a variety of delivery systems such as liposomal, powdered, and capsulated can be helpful. For anyone with a sensitive digestive system, liposomal is often a good choice. Glutathione is another supplement that's important for everyone, but especially in adrenal fatigue. In most cases, IV delivery is actually the best option, but if that isn't accessible for you, oral glutathione is fine too. Glutathione helps with detoxification and it helps the liver recycle inactivated and oxidized vitamin C back to its active form. Vitamins B5, vitamin E, and vitamin D are also extremely important. The hormones in the adrenal glands need something called coenzyme A for production, and coenzyme A is a product of vitamin B5. Vitamin E is involved in several reactions in the adrenal cascade, and vitamin D is important in the overall support of hormone synthesis. I get a lot of questions about adrenal glandulars and extracts and adaptogens such as ashwagandha, licorice root, and a few others. These are actually the first thing that people tend to reach for when they find out that they have adrenal fatigue. And while they can be helpful in the short term, I do not think that it's a place where most people should start, especially if you are not working with a practitioner. First off, their adaptogenic properties are probably better for those who only have very mild adrenal fatigue. I would avoid these if you have more serious adrenal fatigue because they tend to behave as stimulants in people with a more compromised HPA access. And stimulation of the HPA access and adrenals can actually cause more harm than good during a time when you're trying to calm down your stress response. The other issue is that they can lead to withdrawal symptoms or even dependency in the long term. And a lot of people take these compounds, feel better, stop taking them, feel worse, and then take them for a long time. 
So rather than stimulating the HPA access and adrenals and potentially making the problem worse, give your adrenals the nutrients that they need to recover rather than just adding more fuel to the fire. Some other nutrients that may be helpful in either food or supplement form are magnesium, glutamine, DHEA, though I would use extreme caution in this one and would suggest working with a practitioner before starting it, pregnenolone, CoQ10, and collagen. Prioritizing foods that have these nutrients in them is the best choice, but supplementation is better than not getting them. All right, moving on to lifestyle factors, and I'm not going to beat around the bush here. If you do nothing else to manage and recover from adrenal fatigue, do these things. If you do not do these things, no amount of dietary changes or supplementation are going to make a difference. You might feel a little bit better in the short term, but in the long term, nothing will change. I'm going to say that again because it's so important. If you do not address the lifestyle factors that I'm going to talk about, no amount of diet change or supplementation will make you better. Got it? Good. The first thing is sleep. And really, if you can only do one of these things, this is the thing to do. You need a minimum of seven hours of sleep per night. Yes, a minimum of seven hours. And if you don't get seven hours of sleep, don't do your workout because your body sees lack of sleep as stress. And I mean this for people with or without adrenal fatigue. So if you add stress of a workout on top of not having enough sleep, you will just be making the problem worse. And if you don't already have adrenal fatigue, it will put you well on your way to getting adrenal fatigue. Because remember that physiologically, your body doesn't see any difference between what we call good stress, like exercise, and bad stress, like running away from a bear. Sleep is mandatory. Without sleep, your body can't repair itself and is not prepared to deal with the stress of your day. Some practitioners suggest melatonin as a sleep aid because it's a substance that your body makes naturally versus a synthetic sleep medication, but I've actually read several studies indicating that supplementing with melatonin will cause your body to produce less melatonin naturally over time, so that can actually do more harm than good. 5-HTP is a supplement that is a precursor to melatonin, and that seems to be a little bit safer and doesn't cause the same type of downregulation. Other options to help you get to sleep are magnesium or something like reishi mushroom extract. And I know a lot of people are having good luck using CBD in its various forms. I've actually been using Copaiba essential oil, just two drops under my tongue before I get in bed. And that really seems to help me fall asleep faster and stay asleep longer because I was having some issues with waking up around three o'clock in the morning and not being able to go back to sleep. But doing two drops of Copaiba under my tongue every night has really helped with that. Other ways to prepare your body for sleep are to stop using your phone or any screens at least one hour before bedtime. The blue light that is emitted from screens blocks the production of melatonin because it stimulates daylight and makes your body think that it should be awake. And light is one of the most important regulators of our circadian rhythm. So sleeping in a completely dark room is also helpful. And before you tell me that you can't do that, I live in Alaska where it's literally light all night, all summer long. Blackout curtains are cheap, so go get some. The second most important thing, which is really tied with sleep, but if you can only pick one, I still pick sleep, is to manage your stress. Now, I don't love the term stress management because I think that's pretty arbitrary. So I tend to frame this as increasing your resilience. Some would tell you to get rid of all the stress in your life, but I recognize that isn't possible. 
So instead, get rid of as much stress as you can and work on reframing the rest of it into something that doesn't bother you as much. There are certain kinds of stress that will probably always be stressful, like running away from a bear. And that's okay because it helps you survive. But those should be the situations that you seek to minimize in order to help heal your body. And a lot of people don't understand the connection between doing things like yoga or meditation and the way that they respond to stress. But those things actually make a difference in how resilient you are to stress. And spoiler alert, so does getting plenty of sleep. If you feel yourself getting stressed or reacting to a situation that you have previously found stressful, it helps sometimes to just take a minute or two and take some deep breaths and depending on the situation, play what I like to call the what's the worst that could happen game. That really helps you to break stressful situations down and see that no matter what happens, you will probably find a way for it to be okay. Learning to say no and setting appropriate boundaries are also important in stress management, increasing your resilience and self-care. Yes, you very likely will make some people in your life angry, but you are only responsible for you and your health, not their feelings towards your health. One of my clients was telling me a story about her family and they were struggling with some unsupportive family members around a birthday party. So the birthday party was at a restaurant and her family is gluten-free due to having a child with celiac disease. So they opted not to go to the birthday party because she wasn't comfortable with the restaurant being able to accommodate her child with celiac disease. And the rest of her family didn't understand, which is really unfortunate, but these things happen and trying to make everybody happy is actually probably part of what got you here to begin with. The point of this is to say that you absolutely can't burn the candle at both ends and you can't have it all. You can't stay up late, get up early, eat whatever you want, exercise excessively to combat the food that you ate and expect to feel good and be healthy. And I work with a lot of people who are under the assumption that this is that they can have it all. They come to me feeling like crap and say that they eat all the healthy things and they exercise five plus days per week and they don't understand why they're gaining weight and so exhausted all the time. But when we dive deeper, I find out that they have a job that they hate. Three kids who are doing all the after school activities, they're sleeping five hours per night, working 12 hours a day, six days a week. So you absolutely have to get real with yourself and look at your lifestyle because that's the thing that you need to change in order to feel better. One more lifestyle thing that I want to touch on is exercise because exercise can actually be good for adrenal fatigue sufferers because it can improve your energy, normalize cortisol, insulin, blood glucose, and can just make you feel better. But you have to adjust the level and intensity of your exercise to whatever is right for you at a given time. Over-exercising and not enough recovery are both big contributors to adrenal fatigue. You should feel refreshed and energized after whatever exercise you choose to do. And if you don't, you went too hard or too long. You also need to allow for adequate recovery time between each session. One of the dangers of a self-guided adrenal recovery program is actually a tendency to over-exercise once you're feeling better. And you can also see that if you take adrenal glandulars or adaptogens, which act as a stimulant in your body, you think you're feeling better and you go and hit it hard with the exercise, you're actually setting yourself back rather than than improving because the energy came from the stimulant effects of the supplements, not from actually being recovered. It's possible that you only start with a short 10-minute walk every other day. That might be all that you can tolerate, and that's okay. As your body recovers, you can start to increase the intensity, frequency, and duration of your exercise. 
So some final things to keep in mind during this process is that people who have adrenal fatigue often also have multiple endocrine issues like subclinical hypothyroid, uh, insulin resistance, and estrogen dominance. So these things need to be kept in mind as well. Because this healing process is complex, it can take anywhere from a few months to a few years to recover depending on how serious this is. Using appropriate supplementation can speed up the recovery process, but they are absolutely not the most important thing when it comes to recovery, and it's possible to reverse adrenal fatigue without supplementation. A lot of people reach for them because it's the easiest thing to do, but it's actually not the most effective. You absolutely have to address the stress in your life and your lifestyle in general if you want to feel better. There is no way around that. It's really also a good idea to approach this process under the guidance of a professional to make sure that you aren't missing anything and to make sure that you don't cause further harm with a shotgun approach to supplementation. As I said in last week's episode, if you're interested in working with me or talking with me about this, I do have space for a few clients. So you can find information about that on my website and I will also link to it in the show notes. I think that I do want to do one more episode next week about some of the common mistakes that are made during the process of healing adrenal fatigue because I think that those are also important to understand, especially some of the issues surrounding supplements. But I also may have beat this issue to death already. So I would love to hear your thoughts. You can leave a comment on the blog post for this episode, which you can find at marthaflorence.com slash episode two zero, or find me on Instagram and shoot me a message there or send me an email and let me know if you want a common mistakes in adrenal fatigue recovery episode. So that's all I've got for you this week. Thank you so much for listening. I've been loving all the messages that I've been getting on Instagram about what you learned from this podcast and what you like about it. So thank you so much for that. If you love the show, I would love it if you would leave a rating on iTunes. I would say a review, but those have apparently not been easy for people to do, which actually makes me think that iTunes might be conspiring against me. But if you could leave a rating and a review if it will let you, I would absolutely love that. And thanks so much for listening and I'll see you next week. 